0: Welcome to Catholic stuff, you should know the J Ten Initiative. All right, we're going.
1: Welcome, to the podcast. Hey yo, jumping right in, round two. We are full of vitamin D and ready to go. Vitamin D, and uh, this is a little hazy IPA. What's it called again? Nailed earned it, it. Earned it. Earned it. Earned it. Earned it. Um, um, this is a good beer. This is a New England-style IPA. This is
0: an honest IPA. I was telling somebody that story recently. It's an honest wine. This, this too, is an
1: honest wine. Andrew Morris. God <laughs> bless that kid. Shout-out to Dr. Michael Morris, a professor at um, University of Mary in Bismarck. That's his brother. So Nice. I'll t- Did I tell that story on the podcast? Uh, so you did yeah I've told it yeah so his brother his brother didn't know anything about wine so somebody right. just said just say it's an honest wine honest so wine. he said it and the guy was like oh you know your wines and then he just did this three more times this too is an honest wine and then eventually the guy's like you don't know anything about wine It's like nope I don't know anything uh, speaking of doctorates I have in my hand
0: after two years of waiting
1: oh that was yours a
0: diploma the green the green yeah it took me two years to get it it's actually Beautiful. over now
1: Beautiful. It's
0: over. Okay, here's the deal. Like it's It actually, it's over.
1: You got to get it framed. I know. So where are you going to go?
0: No, my mom. She'll have a good oh. idea on how to do okay, it. Yeah. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, she could. Uh, I, that was what I did with Father Chris whenever he came. Partially because he just got his diplomas and I already had mine. Mm-hmm. So uh, we went just down the street and, and got it done so that it's done and over. with. Done. Get it uh, done. It's over. Yeah. Congrats. It over. It's actually, Thank it looks you. really cool. Yeah. Um,
0: when it's framed, you mean?
1: Yeah. Well, no, I saw it. Um, did you get it from somebody?
0: Eusterman. Oh. It came back in Usterman's shipment a couple yeah, months ago. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, that green tube-looking yep. thing. That's right. Yep.
0: That's right. Congrats. So, thank you. I'm happy to say.
1: I don't have my I don't have my diploma framed from University of Illinois. I think I should do that. Yeah. Or my diploma from Richland Community College. <laughs>
0: now that. Would be worth seeing. Did so. you
1: ever hear the story? I I became the student trustee of Richland Community College. Uh, the uh, there was a guy at Richland by the name of Larry Klugman. This guy was eccentric as can be. He would have loved the podcast. Um, he came. He, he invited me over to his house once, and he goes, he goes, Nate, what do you think about that? He's the only person that can get away with calling call me Nate. Nate. I always I tell people say, now they I, they go, uh, I, can, I think
0: Jack Conroy can call you Nate.
1: Oh, yeah, he does call me Nate, yeah. But I usually tell people, the only person that called me Nate is dead. So, uh, But that's true. Jack Conroy did get away with it. Nate, make sure I'm up for mass, 9 p.m. <laughs> um, So he invites me to his house. He's like, he's like, hey, see those end tables? What do you think about that? I was like, they look fine. He's like, they're worth more than my house. I'm like, what? They are made by Frank Lloyd Wright. Really? Yeah. This guy was an antique, like, a dealer whatever so he calls me he calls me i'm walking down the hallway he's like nate come into my office he was always eating popcorn you knew where klugman was at any point like on the campus because you just followed the popcorn and Fine. you would see him anyways he goes he goes uh the guy that's running for student trustee i don't want him to win i want you to run against him and i want you to win and i was like i don't know anything about that he's like it doesn't matter he's like you'll definitely beat this guy and i was like why? He's like, I'll help you, and I was like, you're pretty much gonna give me votes because I didn't know anybody on campus. Yeah. Like, um, and he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, you'll you'll do fine. How'd you know Klugman? Klugman was the political science uh, department chair, uh. and I, I, his was the very first class I took at uh, Richland Community College, and it was the best. It was the best class. He was the best professor that I had. And I had him for uh, I took every single thing that he taught as well as an elective. Um, And then he said to me once, he said, um, uh, you want to get out of here as fast as possible. And I want to help you with that. He's like, you shouldn't be here, but you're here. And I want to get you to the next place that you need to go. Because at the time, I was like super bummed that I wasn't going to Notre Dame. Right. Blah, blah, blah. So why are we talking about Klugman?
0: I don't know. You were excited. You were rolling into that story.
1: I don't know. You started off with something. oh the diploma, the diploma, Richland Community College. Oh, there you go. So, anyways, I was student trustee, and um, uh, one of the things that I did was organize a CPR training. So uh, that was one of the things that I like proposed, right? And um, the end of that
0: th- scene from The Office, you remember that one?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's, I love that's that. one of the best scenes. Ever. Yeah, yeah. YouTube it, people. Anyways, um, so but I I didn't want to do a CPR training like. It was on Saturday, and it was going to be like six hours. So I've never been trained in CPR, but I did organize a CPR training. Hmm. And at the time, I did not smoke, but I thought it was total garbage that the people who did smoke on campus didn't have covered platforms. So yeah. I, I, uh, I lobbied for covered platforms for them because I said, if, if we're going to be a smoke-free campus right next to the doors... We have to give the smokers a chance to like, you know, go out and, you know, they're like pariahs and everything. Mm -hmm. So I pretty much made a leper colony for them, And um, that was it. Nice. I ran on that. One. The rest is history. Soda
0: machines in every hall. Right.
1: It's the same platforms, you know.
0: True. Yeah. What what is a trustee? What were you interested with? I
1: uh, I was on the board of directors. Wow. So I would have to go to these meetings and I knew nothing. Like nothing. It was like walking into my first finance council meeting, and they were like, uh, what is it? The balance sheet looks good as long as you're looking at fixed assets. <laughs> and I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So that literally, like a student. And then every once in a while, as you know, I would get very opinionated about something. Shocker. And they would all kind of like step back, and yeah. then uh, we would take votes. And, you know, sometimes I would vote. You know,
0: see, this is why you were destined to be student body president at St. John Theological Seminary. Also, Just I was student. You.
1: I was student body president president from August whatever until October fifteenth. I know, and whenever I was deposed,
0: you were. It was kind of like getting guillotined in front of the whole community.
1: True. Yeah. 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 Better than uh, whatever emasculated. Anywho, <laughs> um, let's move on. It's actually a helpful. It's actually a helpful uh, uh, lead-in because uh, today I want to talk about uh, stag beer. Stag beer. Did you ever drink stag beer? No. What about Schlitz oh, yeah. ice? You did. Oh, not ice, but Schlitz. 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 Up in my, Minnesota, my
0: grandfather worked as a distributor of Schlitz nice. for a while. My mom actually just got all these old, this old school Schlitz paraphernalia, paraphernalia like what? little.
1: Yeah, she just got it. Dave Goebel has a scar uh, on his arm from when a PBR bottle exploded in Peoria, Illinois and um, uh, cut him. So he used to work at the PBR plant.
0: Ah, okay. So. There you go. Uh,
1: what was your dad's beer of choice back in the day? Um, Did your dad drink beer? Not
0: really, but he would have been. He
1: was just hard corn liquor.
0: Yeah, exactly. Straight vodka. Um. He had uh do you remember the old uh Miller Light cans? Oh yeah. They brought them back now. Oh yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That's like my I think about my childhood, okay. it's like
1: that's what they were all drinking. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Dad was drinking old Milwaukee. Old, oh, or yeah. not uh Hams. Uh no, it wasn't old Milwaukee, it was uh Miller um Miller High Life. Yeah. The champagne of beers. I
0: will say that um my cousins and uncles and family in the Midwest, they drink terrible beer. Yes. Terrible. It's cheap. That's right. It's so bad, though. Exactly. It's just like...
1: Perfect. Yeah. That's the lead-in. Okay. So um, imagine that. Now, side note, a lady came up to me after mass, and she goes, Father, I listened to the podcast with your dad on it. You and your dad could not be more different. He's so soft-spoken and low-energy. Well, he was a bit nervous. He was a bit nervous, folks. Right, right. This guy's drinking Miller High Life. He's not like, you know, listening to Beethoven and checking his cross stitch. Right. Okay. So with that in mind, listen to this reading from the uh, Gospel of Luke. And he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new cloak to patch an old one. Otherwise, he will tear the new, and the piece from it will not match the old cloak. Likewise, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise... The new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be ruined. Rather, new wine must be poured into fresh wineskins. And no one who has been drinking old wine desires new, for he says, quote, the old is good. No one who drinks stag beer, Miller Lite, Miller High Life. Michelob. Michelob, yeah. Michelob Ultra? What yeah. is this garbage? Yeah. Um, nobody who drinks that stuff says, I want new stuff. Because the old is good. Right. The old is fine. Why do we need to change? Let's just keep it exactly like it is. Um, so <coughs> they're not going to attempt, you know, a Newcastle or an IPA or, you know, bourbon or whatever else. So the temptation is, I'm going to remain <laughs> Sorry, as I, I am. Sorry, you going to vomit. No, and- oh, I got the burps. <laughs> I shoveled down. I shoveled down potato salad right before we started, and I have been having the belches ever since then. Okay. Sorry. Anywho, um, everybody. A lot of people get into a point where it's like, I want this as it is. I don't want to make any changes. I have an idea of how my life needs to go, and I don't want anybody to come in and disorganize it or disrupt it. Now. I would say the question the question I would have for, for persons of that ilk is who's, who's the disruptor in your life? Who's the one that can actually come in and say, maybe your countertop is a little cluttered? Maybe. Maybe. It's a hypothetical.
0: Hypothetically, they could say that. Or go dip your toes in the pool and cut your toenails.
1: Cut your toenails. These are the things that we have to be said. So the question I would have is, Ultimately, who can correct you? Right. A lot of people think of religious, uh, when they talk about uh, them and religious life, as they're constantly getting corrected. You have to perform that function in some way as a formator. You're responsible for the overall human formation of many guys, and sometimes that is narrowed down to, you're the guy that gets to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a pretty... I think that's a pretty constricted view of what we mean by formation. Yeah. Um, would you have a different kind of amplifier for how you would describe formation? Um, absolutely. Um,
0: yeah the kind of uh, the kind of uh, police state of seminary life, which yes. some guys experience. Right. You know, where it's like you sign the code of conduct, you will follow it to the exact to every code. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a this is not a human environment for growth. So, growing things require like if we want to formation is about growth, right? It presumes that something. If I want to form a plant in the front of Schloss Goebbels, it presumes that it's growing. If if presumption that it can grow means that it has a vital, it's alive, org- organic that it's alive. Yes. So there's presuppositions to formation. I can't just go in and start cutting things away, right. forming, going in as I was showing the guys, I kind of roll out my, there's a scene at the end of Braveheart where they kind of roll out all of the torture devices and I'm like, as a formator, just kind of lay these things out and be like, I'll take this one today and just, you know, cut out all the weakness, cut out all the sins, cut out all the problems. Get them. And that just is, uh, it just kills. It just kills. So you have to have a really vibrant and alive plant to be able to form it to kind of, you know trim it to cultivate it mm-hmm. um, to to make it what it is supposed to be because the trimming of the plant i'm I'm not at all green thumb here, but you know we trim plants we we prune vines for the sake of their growth yes and I think that Brute formation for needs to be understood as it's it presumes a lot of things that's why I tell guys i say uh, every every year I've had to uh dismiss a guy or two uh, with the support of the formation team. And it's always really, really hard. But um, I just say like formation is impossible without trust. If we don't have a relationship of trust, then it's not like, oh, shoot, let's work on that. It's like we we can't do formation, which means we can't do anything here, which means you're not going to grow. Um, so something has to change. That doesn't mean they have to leave seminary, but they just, yeah. we can't have that. And so every everything Everything is founded on trust um, because freedom is the requisite of human growth. And the kind of the purpose of my job is to say, are you free? Yeah. So they're talking about this, this, and this, and this, and just say, okay, are you free in that? You know. So it's not this kind of um, prescribed and procedure that you have to follow in order to, yeah. I don't know, become the priest that I think you should be. I don't actually know what you're supposed to become. I don't know what God wants you to be. We're kind of in this together. Yeah. But I do know that uh yeah the the new wine in the new wineskins. The hardest part is getting rid of the old wineskins, which yes. is the old form of how I relate to God, how I relate to ol- myself, wi- relate to myself, yeah. relate to friends, women, family and old forms pass away. Mission. Of relationships,
1: yeah. intellectual life,
0: everything and uh right. and then new things are b- I'm thinking about Deacon Trevor Lontine, one of our brothers, is, had terrible, terrible back pain. I mean, right. and I spent Thursday with him. I spent a couple hours and had lunch, and his whole life has been shattered. He can't walk, and this guy is going to be a priest in six months. He has herniated discs. And he's asking himself, what what is God doing? And you can't just give him cheap one-liners. Right. Well, it's all going to be better. Or just pick up your cross and follow him brother. Like yeah. this is not, uh, these are all truths, but they're not, they're not what he needs. What he needs is to say, somehow there's a different way that God is forming you mm-hmm. and your priesthood is going to be really different because of this suffering because you've been broken.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and in some ways I wish, I think he will witness to the fact that the old wineskin of, of what he thought his life was going to be is completely changed. Yeah. And, um, that is something that we just are so afraid of
1: well we, all are. we are yeah. suffering is its own corrective. we don't choose that formator like it's given to us, and um it chastens us, disciplines us uh educates us, conforms us mm-hmm. uh you cannot help but uh but cooperate willingly or unwillingly um so uh we. There are times where we're not suffering or not suffering and we can choose who and when and how uh, we will be corrected or we will be conformed. And so the the temptation, I would say, for a lot of people is I don't have really have anybody in my life that is capable of doing that. But if I did, I would listen to them. Right. Like I would I would listen to that person. Now, when I said this, I, I gave this as a homily the other day. So, you know, all my Joan of Arc people are like, oh, this podcast, recycled, recycled goods. Um, yeah, whatever. Go listen to go listen to whatever Father Sean McGrath's podcast then. He doesn't yeah. Yeah, take that. Yeah, got him. Okay, go ahead. Um but I, the point I was making in my homily was, you may say, well, I already have that person in my life. It's my spouse. Maybe, maybe. You're, you may be able to see all your spouse's faults and you may be able to tell each other, this is what uh, I think you need to work on. Correction isn't just being able to notice people's flaws. Um, I thought I had a gift a number of years ago because I could say, I could tell people like, this is the thing that they need to work on. Um, and I said that to my spiritual director at the time. And he was like, that's not a grace. That is what everybody has. Yeah, The grace or the gift that you would have would be to actually acknowledge people's uh, gifts and be able to tell them, this is what I believe that you should live out of. Yeah. So correction isn't just, I notice what they are doing wrong, but ultimately to see it in light of, this is the good that I think that you ordinarily are about. And this is the good that I believe that the Lord is inviting you to. And here is how this action, this relationship, this procedure, like whatever it is, is limiting you from, from being able to live from the fullness of who you are. Right. The question is in that moment or will that moment ever come? Are we willing to actually have these crucial conversations of sorts to be able to come to a place with somebody where it's like, I'm going to risk losing so much in my life in order that I can kind of point to, I see that this is inhibiting life, freedom, friendship. Um, Because the temptation is I've got stag beer. I've got Miller high life. This is what I do. This is who I am. And I've recognized in myself like there have been times where people have done that for me. And when they usually do it to me, like I want to kill them. Yeah. Like my first my first fear is you're trying to change me and you're trying to change me for the worse, so I immediately just say eh, 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 like don't listen violence rebel but then over time i'm like mm, i i don't know how to handle that and oftentimes it's not the first person who says it it's the second or the third person who says it which can be even more difficult because then you're frustrated about why didn't you just listen to me to the first time
0: yeah yeah this is a good topic a number of ways to go with He's it very excited um I was just thinking about. I was like, "Are you a crock pot, or are you one of those um, Insta pots?" I think you're an Instapot. pot. What? With with correction? Just like throw it in the pot and just let it simmer.
1: You mean receiving or giving? Receiving. Because like for giving, yeah, receiving. I'm yeah, definitely. I'm a pressure cooker. You pressure cooker, pressure cooker. You giving, better you, giving you might
0: be more like a trigger.
1: You better be more like. You better be making sure giving me correction that I've like actually locked in or else the steam vent is going to go right in your face. Right. Which um,
0: and I admire that about you because you actually you you actually bring these things in. Most of us just blow it off. It takes time. Most I, of us just I don't kind do of it immediately. I just like eh, force field, you know. Yep. You remember that as a kid? It's like force field mm-hmm. blocks yep. everything. Yep. And it's like you can't touch me. I have uh, I mean, we've been doing this bad for in the companions for for fifteen years, years. yeah, and fifteen years. We're so bad at it, and I am so bad at it. And I, uh, I just, I, I have so many different just thoughts on the mistakes. And but I'll tell you what, if you don't have it in your life, at least something where you have people bumping into each other in the same space, um, it's just different. Like my role, there's a real authority that I have to earn with these men sure. and 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 their trust. Uh, and I have to hold the line. But I also have to be really human and free and flexible and also honest enough to say, formation is never objective, ever. Because human beings always bring their own preconditions into things. Yeah. Um, we always have our own kind of criteria that we're, whenever we encounter anybody else, we're automatically seeing ourselves mirrored in them. And a lot of times, I mean, we all, anybody knows this is kind of just a natural truth, but if something in somebody drives you absolutely crazy, it's probably because it's in you and you hate that in yourself. It's touching, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's something there. So I, uh, I think that, but we have to have this. And yeah, majority of the Christian life is not lived without some kind of real, without some kind of, and I think correction correction has to be kind of relocated out of it's not this kind of military approach of like we're going to just create the perfect kind of you know um christian marines or whatever um it has to be put in the in the context of obedience yes and we have to think about how did christ live obedience he wasn't just the guy who did everything right mm-hmm. um and the christian life is about doing everything right never making mistakes but obedience becomes not just the Obedience is kind of the mode of knowledge and life in in God. Like it's not just like, and as priests we're the worst because we promise obedience and then we're like, just don't pick up the phone when the bishop calls for six years or 12 years and then I'll do what I'm told and I'll go to whatever parish is next. Instead of like my life is given and obedience is the structure. Knowledge of God does not make sense apart from obedience. You can't know God without doing his will. Like he's not an idea. He's not a he's not a calculus equation that you can just kind of contemplate without action. Yeah. Knowledge of God presumes obediential faith. Faith is an obedience, according to Paul in Romans. So, well there. done. Stop yeah, I there. mean,
1: very rarely do we have such a seamless trade-off. But um, the obedience that I was hoping to get to. So I'm glad that you you admitted it. We like to think of obedience as. As long as this person wears the pointy hat or as long as this person has, like, the existential power, my boss, my spouse, in some way, like, yes, I should listen to them, Um, my parents, my teacher, you know. What about mutual obedience? What about when it's not, we're not talking about, like, master-disciple, we're not talking about teacher-student. We're not talking about parent-child. We're talking about equals, mm-hmm. which I think is actually even harder in um, in marriage because you it is a it is a a joining of equals, but it's a it's a complementarity of equals with, I hate to say it, male headship, uh, which you know uh, a lot of people don't actually believe, but it is scriptural and I think actually flows uh, best in in my experience with with couples when when there's actually that lived and lived well but um as long as as long as i respect this person and they tell me something i want to do of course i'll give them obedience but what if it's somebody that i i struggle struggle with what if it's somebody that i actually don't respect what if like it's the total loser in community or what if it's the I don't know, the, the burdensome, irksome parishioner or something. So the, the, the riddle that I asked them, maybe you remember this, but a guy walks into a barbershop and there's two barbers. One of them has really nice, straight, like, you know, straight-lined hair. The other dude, his hair is all wonky and crazy and, like, cut up. Whose barber chair do you sit in? The one with the polished, nice-looking hair. That's what you think. Right. But the reality is that guy got his hair cut by the other dude. Right. So sometimes we look at certain people and it's like, what do you actually have to teach me? Why should I listen to you? Right. You're a a kid. You're a child. You're a seminarian. You're an irksome person. You're a brother that can't even get his stuff together. Okay. I came across this line from Mother Teresa and today is her feast day. Um, So we have to make sure that we acknowledge the big mama tea today. Mm -hmm, So this is the only quote that I want to give from her. She says, in heaven, our Lord will not ask you, was your superior intelligent, understanding, cheerful? He will simply ask you, have you obeyed me? Mm. I love, I, I love reflecting on that. And when I received that, like I immediately went to, there have been so many other people that I have dismissed because I didn't find them uh, intelligent, understanding, or cheerful. And therefore, I don't have to listen to you. Um, I'm, thinking back, I'm thinking back to high school. God bless you if you listen to this podcast. Um, but I was, I, was a communicat- I was in communications class. We had to do videos. And I was interviewing Mrs. Bug, B-U-G-G. Mrs. The Bug. Names, the names in in Mount Zion. Mount Zion. It's just
0: like a right out of a, a Flannery O'Connor story. That's what I was going to say. Flannery O'Connor
1: character. So, um, so I'm interviewing Mrs. Bug about something, and I said, "Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Nathan Goble. I'm here with Miss Bug," and she goes, "It's Mrs. Bug," and I was like, "Oh, sorry. Uh, can we can we do it again?" Hi, this is uh, Nathan Goble. I'm here today with uh, Ms. Bug, and she goes, "It's Mrs. Bug." <laughs> We had to do this literally four times, and by the end, I was just like, "Why do you care?" Right? Like, lady, it sounds better, Ms. Bug. Like, it it sounds like kind of catchy, Ms. Bug, Ms. Yeah. Bug, and uh, and she kept correcting me, and I was like so frustrated. But then it taught me in a, a crucial lesson that it's like she wanted to be acknowledged as someone who is espoused, and that's her married name, and she has a right to it. And at first, like, I'm like, I, I don't find you cheerful, so I don't have to listen to your correction. Like, if somebody corrects me, as long as I, I agree with them, then yes, I will admit my fault. But what if I don't find them to be especially intelligent, understanding, or cheerful? Do I still have to listen to them? Hmm. And when it comes to mutual obedience, which happens in community life, I think it happens in like parish communities. I think it happens in workplaces. I think it happens in schools. It's hard to receive insight about yourself from someone that you don't respect, love, or look up to. But ultimately, I think you have to ask yourself, is this person inviting me to new wineskins? Because I'm so, so accustomed, so focused, so welcoming of, it's going to be the old. The old is fine. Stag is fine. Why do I need to try anything different? And in the end, I may just say, yeah, I'm just going to keep going to the same reality over and over and, and wonder, why can't I grow in holiness? Why am I not making any changes? And it's probably because I'm listening to the same people.
0: Right. Um, I would agree with that. Fundamentally agree with that. I also think that there's a lot of people, ourselves included, who do this badly and wound us and damage us. Yes. And so everybody is not worth listening to equally. I got a um, summer evaluation from one of our brother priests of one of my guys and i read it and i was like you are just spewing your own baggage and this isn't the man this isn't my experience and i'm like i'm not going to use this i'm not going to give this i'm not going to present this i uh i don't think this is fair and so i think there's a real discernment that has to happen what i like about your approach is to say it's not just going to come from your polished friends right. who are going to treat you well and who are going to speak well of you, right? Yeah. Woe to you if all speak well of you. Yes. From Luke, right? Um, and what we're what we're obedient to is the truth. Yes. We're trying to be obedient to reality. The reality of that woman was, yeah, she's pushy and obnoxious, but she is a, a, a she is a Mrs. And that means something to her. Mm-hmm. So you have to respect that. Um but if she calls you Nathan, and I'm not going to call you Father Nathan, right? Um, which people do all the time for so many different reasons. Um, you don't just say, "Yeah, maybe I take myself too seriously, and I should just drop drop the title Father, and I should start yep. you know what I mean." Like, um, but I, I, I do think that the we've localized correction and we've made it this extreme thing that has to happen. And right. my 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 task, and I'm still really new at this in seminary work is to make it as natural as possible. That it should flow within this larger kind of environment of trust and confidence and levity and humor. Um, and that it shouldn't just be this kind of stark, cold, right. comprehensive um, and inv- inv- invasive, is that the word? You know, where you're cutting into something um, it shouldn't be like that. And I, I, there's a line from Guardini on um, that I read recently, a great little book called The Living God. And he's talking about the will of God, and it's connected to obedience. And he says, we've become far too accustomed to thinking of it, the will of God, in purely moral terms, as the sum total of our obligations, as a kind of personification of the moral law. It is, in fact, much more than that. The will of God is simply what ought to happen in the world he has created, what ought to emerge from the interplay of natural forces, what ought to emerge from man's work, Mm -hmm. from the freedom of the human spirit, so that the world may come to be what it is intended to be. The will of God is the consummation of divine creation, of, of the divine's creation, of which man with his freedom is part. Yes. So obedience is about obedience to to the reality of the truth. And there are certain people in our life who are steady, who are steady and committed to that life. I'm going to have spiritual direction with Archbishop Chaput next week. He's going to hammer me on the same things, and I know it, and I'm not looking forward to it. But he is fierce in his fatherly love to say, I am going to hold your feet to the fire so that you embrace the truth. And I love... And the love and the respect that I have of that man carries me to get through my insecurities and my fear and my desire to live in illusions.
1: Because we ultimately want to see the realization of the good. The reason why you pour the wine into the new wineskin is so that you can drink the wine. Like the wine is good. Um, but we can be satisfied on our perspective on what the good ought to be. And we realize that there are others who have the capacity to see the realization of the good even in our life. And I would agree with that. I, I think we can easily dismiss certain people's opinions. I mean, we, we talked about it, I can't remember this week or last week. It's like all that the companions want to do is drink bourbon and not go to their parish. Like there's a part of me that that really hurts because I try to tell myself all the time I'm, I'm giving enough. I'm trying to be for, there for my people. It's like the way moms feel when somebody says, like, I think, I think you're a bad mom. We, moms have all these insecurities that they are bad moms. No, you're probably not a bad mom. You're probably a really dedicated mom. There are people that can help you to realize the good that you see. The question is, how can we know who these people are? And do you have these people? Are you actually willing to listen to these people? confessors spiritual directors friends brothers trusted co-workers um, and are we willing are we willing to open ourselves up to that so the yeah. the practical of this is um, in the companions we do uh, a session on your birthday where you're honored okay so you choose three guys and we we honor those guys um, I think that's a laudable thing I think especially for men it's hard to receive, positive feedback we want it so badly but then when when it's actually given to us it's just super awkward yeah um, i am not looking forward to it i hate to say that but yeah so um one of the, that's a that's a good thing if you don't have that already in your family or in your friend group i would encourage you find an opportunity to do that it doesn't have to be long and sappy and it's not a best man speech it's just like i've seen this in you this year I've seen this virtue. I want to thank you for it and honor you for it. Um, It's helpful if you articulate it so that they can uh, hear it. Um, And I think it's helpful if it happens in the context of other persons because it calls us all to greater virtue. That's honoring. We're talking about correction. So I said, I proposed this. It didn't exactly fly anywhere. I said on on your baptismal day... On your baptismal day, you should find one person, and you choose that person. Instead of, you know, with honorings where other people choose them, you choose that person, and you say, give me one to two things that you think I should grow in. And you humble yourself enough to to actually say, would you do that? And watch who you go to. Do you go to the same person? Do you go to the person that you know will tell it to you straight? Do you go to the person who will kind of soften it? Do you go to the person that you don't like or don't respect? If you're gonna live for the next 80 years and you ask the same dude every single time, it's not helpful. So uh, I, I would encourage you to actually find someone and to just say, okay, this year for Lent, what do you think I should work on? And see if it helps. Maybe they're right, maybe they're not. But you don't have to make major changes. It's just, you just listen to them. Yeah,
0: the good good advice. Um, last point here I would say is, it strikes me that um, obedience arises out of the experience of trust in authority, which means placing people in authority in our life, which means that Nathan gets to speak into my life, and I let him do that. And vulnerability is the living out of a trustful posture towards another when you can say and that's the best way to do it frankly is to be conformed to reality in a deeper way because it's arising from your own self-knowledge and your own self uh accusation uh in a in a healthy way um that's a lot easier than just living as if i have it all together and everything's fine living blindly and then once a year trying to take it's just so hard uh so i like that practice but i think creating like concentric circles Realizing that no one is, yeah. no one has the comprehensive view. Right. No spouse has the comprehensive view of this is who you are, and this is what reality is. And if they speak to you like that, they're they're going to do a lot of damage. Um, Spousal life is the most comprehensive uh, of all of the circles. I'm thinking about like in the companions, we have this fraternal circle, this fraternal, and it. But it, you need to have a spiritual director. You need to have a father. And a lot of us need to have a therapist and we definitely all need to have good close friends. So all these- concentr- and households. And households, all these concentric yep. circles that are places where I run up and where the illusions of my self-constructed pattern of what my life and my holiness are going to look like where they dissolve and I'm still held in tension and loved. Mm-hmm. Marriage is the, the broadest of the circles, but it's not totally comprehensive because your spouse- sees and feels your sins acutely and your failures and sees you better than, more than you see yourself but they don't see you as you truly are. Nobody does. Everybody has a subjective lens. Everybody has some kind of tint to it um, and that just takes a lot of humility and a lot of patience and a lot of practice at this. It's an art. Yeah. Um, but I think get those, get the circles in your life with the right people. Who can who can challenge you because they because you know that they love you.
1: Who can realize the good that not just the not just the challenge or the correction, but also like point you back towards the good. So ultimately, the the point is maybe maybe you do really like stag. Maybe you're maybe you've just grown accustomed to stag, and that's the way that it's always been. Um, if you allow others to propose a new wineskin, you may actually discover the. The, the vessel that is capable of receiving the new life of grace.
0: So that's it. Amen. Good luck. Well, a man who's probably drinking hams right now is Father Eric Gilba up in Helena, Montana. Uh, he is, a, as I say, Gilbaugh was born in the Depression, and he never left it. So he? Was is he? No, he's not. He's like our age. Yeah. He, he acts like he's 80. So right. I had a great few days with him in July uh, before Matt Christian and Tyler... Um, Frolic. Thank you. Uh, before there, um, and uh, met Ashley and Dave Costo, and then uh, Tia Mitchell on the phone. We went over to Surprise her at her house. She's a big podcast fan, but that did not what? happen. But uh, Tia, but Gilbaugh, well. um, I just want to say, Gilbaugh. That trip was literally random and amazing. That's what he says. Millennials call everything. Everything is liter literally, literally totally random and amazing. amazing.
1: So thanks for a really literally a man amazing time together. The ones the, the the three the I guess two guys that I want to give shout outs. I had a formator I had a discipler in focus, and I had one disciple in focus who were missionaries. I had other disciples. Um, I can give them shout-outs at another time. Sorry, Anthony. Um, but the other two, one was Nathan Stanley, mm-hmm. and the other was Joel La Liberte. Nathan Stanley lives in Arvada. Great dude. Uh, great father. Uh, accustomed to suffering. Like, helped me immensely at that time when I thought I knew everything. Like, I was coming from University of Illinois. Like, I'm super awesome. And I wasn't. And I needed help. And he was he was there for me. The other one uh, is Joel Aliberte. I had to walk with Joel when he was assigned to University of Northern Colorado, um, and uh, he was a focus missionary. And uh, eventually, I got to the point where I realized he was so virtuous that I had to say, do you floss your teeth? And he was like, no. And I was like, that's what you need to work on. Yeah. Like, I had nothing else, nothing else to actually encourage him in. He was that well-formed. That eventually I was like, floss your teeth. Yeah. So if you get to the point where you, you you think somebody's like, you know, near sainthood, get them to floss.
0: Shout out to Matt Usterman, who's in town. Their uh, First Communion, Patrick. That's right, Patrick. Tonight, uh, Matt totally converted me to flossing about three years ago. So. Nice. It, and, the, and the secret was moving away from the floss to the actual, I've seen these like Oh yeah. stick things with the yeah. little, you know.
1: Wait, do you use the one with the, the floss in the center? Yeah see that's just it my my uh dentist said don't use those because it just it just slides everything around and i'm like i'm like buddy i'm going from not doing it to doing the flossers. exactly so anyways
0: dr matt usterman get over it get the picker they
1: they said it because i was using glide do you use glide or floss do you use glide or floss those sticks Uh, We can talk about this later. Let's finish the podcast. We'll discuss this. He's got wide teeth, so he's got a lot of floss to do. (laughs) Sorry, Mary Nepple. All right, that's all the shout-outs I got. Have a great day, folks. Uh, Really appreciate you listening. By the way, I wanted to tell you, trim your nose hairs. Have a good week.
0: CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com.